Accessing secret history files. Identify. Dr. Brian Sovereign. 21st century anarchist. Tech journalist. Game developer. Creator of the podcast Sovereign Tech. Directly responsible for stopping the enslavement of humanity by the blockchain intelligence. By the year 2099, Dr. Sovereign's work would lead to the creation of various anarchist colonies in space and in Earth's ocean, as well as... Are you ready for the hottest tech news, analysis, and commentary? Are you ready for the bleeding edge in science and ethics? Then it's time for Sovereign Tech. With your host, the golden stallion of the tech world, the man in triple black, the rated R radio star, Brian Sovereign. He has a really long, impressive resume. And now, here's Brian. Oh, stallion! Golden stallion, please! Tell us! What does it all mean? Well, woo! The Golden Stallion's here to tell you, baby, because it's time for another episode of Sovereign Tech, the show that exists, oh, at least six months in the future. <laughs> the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, the man who always wears triple black. We all know what that's about, baby. Ready to go. And boy, if you're wondering about the new theme song, well, you know, it's actually not a new theme song. Longtime listeners of Sovereign Tech will recognize that as the old theme song, not the original theme song, but uh, but one that I definitely used for the longest amount of time. Uh, I'm going back with it. It was actually, you know, straight up, it was a theme made that was custom made by an incredibly dear friend, a friend of mine. And I'm just really honored to, you know, to be using it uh, once again. I, I really, I, I love that theme. So anyway, but I'm not here to talk to you about theme songs, baby, because this is episode 175. And you know, every 25 episodes, which equals to about every six months, I shake up the show. Uh, I, I perhaps take away segments, put in new segments, put in old segments, have stuff return, you know, throw it all up in the air. And I, I don't know, I, I, I was going to say eeny, meeny, miny, mo. You know, I wonder... What are the origins of Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo? I'm going to look into that, and I'll report to you next week in episode 176 uh, of, of Sovereign Tech, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> How about that? Maybe I'll forget about doing it, but I'm curious. I'd almost I'd almost go duck it right now, and that's duck it, not Google. Uh, you know, it's in duck, duck, go. Uh, but uh, whatever. I'll do that later. So got a ton to cover this week, as usual. Uh, thank you so much to everybody for, of course, uh, all their, their great response to the past couple episodes. Uh, I really appreciate that. Always honored that so many people listen in. Um, we are, I mean, the, the Sovereign Tech numbers keep growing, and I am so honored by that. Uh, it really means a lot to me that so many people, uh, you know, make me a part of their life, make me a part of their weekend in, in whatever, you know, minuscule fashion that a podcast may take shape with that. Uh, and of course, yes, a lot. I got a lot of very gracious birthday wishes. Of course, my birthday is on May 12th. I am now 35,000 years, uh, sorry, 35 years old. 
and thank you all so much for the, uh, some people made gracious donations. Uh, of course, you can go to donate.zog.ninja if you wish to do so as well. And other people just shared, you know, very beautiful birthday wishes. And thank you so much for all of that. Uh, so why don't we just, I mean, this is perfect. We're celebrating. <laughs> Me being 35 with episode 175, where again, we shake everything up. And uh, yeah, let's get into the random access. That's something that is not going to go away, uh, that hasn't gone away at all. And, and we've got a, a lot to get into here. Uh, some really interesting stories, actually. And, you know, I'm going to start it off with something uh, kind of good. And this is OK. So how you pronounce this is somewhat debatable. Uh, you have, I think, the official in the video I saw, the guy called it Vridge. V-R-I-D-G-E. Uh, some people were calling it VR or VR Ridge or V Ridge or, you know, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. But the idea here with Vridge is it allows you to, to, you, to, to kind of wirelessly stream um, a VR connection from your, uh, for, if it, as long as I'm getting all this right, from your PC that, say, is Oculus Rift or HTC Vive Ready and will allow it to run on your smartphone using Google Cardboard. Uh, and, and here's the interesting thing is, is I don't think you necessarily need, and I, you know, I'm not sure exactly all the machinations and how you would make this work, but you don't actually need the hardware of an Oculus Rift or the HTC Vive. You kind of just need to install the software, have a computer powerful enough to run that software, and it all just gets sent off to, you know, to your Google Cardboard, to your smartphone, uh, you know, over Wi-Fi with, with V-Ridge. Now, I mean, it's not perfect. But this is a really cool implementation. I dig this. This is very similar to, I think Steam allows for this. And I know NVIDIA, their Shield line, the NVIDIA Shield line allows for this as well, to where you can stream PC games. And of course, PlayStation has done this with the PS4s also, where you can stream games to another device. Like you could you could play Steam games on an NVIDIA Shield device via streaming, you know, through your local Wi-Fi, you know, network. Uh, and so this is the same idea, just... You know, it works towards Google Cardboard. Now, yeah, there, there's some issues with, uh, you know, <laughs> obviously Google Cardboard isn't the best uh, hardware that can be strapped to your face as to where the HTC Vive and the, and the Oculus Rift certainly are. OK, but regardless, that's pretty cool. And I like that. I like that this makes this shows the viability of cardboard more. This shows the viability of things being done, uh, you know, to mobile devices more. And, you know, it gets rid of the proprietary. It gets rid of the, you know, it opens all this up. Uh, and I think, you know, it really highlights for me. Uh, because, again, I feel that that virtual reality is going to be a thing for mobile. Um, it may be independent headsets. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second. Okay. Um, but I, I, I think that this, this really shows off why there's this big push for mobile and tablets and all this other stuff, because the part of, I mean, nobody like I'm sure steam, not even steam as good a company as they are. Uh, and Facebook, which is not a good company. You know, I'm sure both of them would, would love, you know, for, or don't like the fact that this is, that this is possible. They want you, they would love for you to have to play in their ecosystems. Right. They don't want all that opened up. The problem is, is that when you get onto a desktop, when you get onto it, which is, you know, 
at some point, people are going to call desktops legacy systems, I think. Okay, because they can be ecosystem agnostic when, you know, I think it highlights that people hate that. They absolutely hate the fact that, that you have that ability to do something with their software that you knew, that was never intended, that they never wanted you to do. And because with mobile, that's not, that's not an issue. That doesn't happen. Okay, with mobile, they have absolute control. With something even like Chrome OS, they more or less, in many ways, have absolute control over what you can do with the software. And I mean, this is just a thorn in the side of most of these companies today. I I, I really think that. Uh, and even for, you know, Windows, because all of that runs off of Windows initially, and you kind of need Windows to be able to pull off uh, much of what's talking about, what's talked about here, at least with the Oculus Rift. Um, you know, Microsoft, I mean, their push for UWP for their universal, uh, you know, apps, uh, I, you know, I kind of came to realize something, um, and, and this is, this, this sort of gets to a story that I talked about in the dark Android blog this week. Um, I, I, I really came to realize that universal apps, as much as I love the idea and the idea of universal windows apps is that they will, no matter what device you're using, you could be using a phone, you could be using a tablet, you could be using something with a touchscreen without a touchscreen, you could be using a refrigerator, whatever it will, it the, the app itself will morph to it's morphin time. Sorry. Um, will morph to work with whatever, whatever hardware it's on, but you only have to program it once and then it knows what to do. Okay. Now in the abstract, that's a great idea. But what I came to realize is that I think this is Microsoft creating a dependency to, to allow for universal apps to work. And this is how they want everything to be. They want everything to be universal apps. And eventually there's going to be, to be advantages for creating universal apps. They wanted to have to connect to the Windows Store. They wanted to have that dependency because this is a huge problem with like Android uh, and other things like, you know, with with a dark Android setup, okay, to where you don't want the Google Play Store. Unfortunately, you can independently get a lot of apps and a lot of apps will work independently. But so many of them, including, I think, Signal now, require a dependency on the Google Play Store. Now, some people have tried to create apps that 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 simulate that dependency, that library dependency. Uh, but they don't always work very well. And this this is the thing, you know, he who controls the apps controls the universe. I said that in an article I wrote about uh, Jide. It was the Jide Remix OS, which I'm excited about. Uh, they, you know, Google pretty much took away the Google Play Store from them. And once you take away all those apps, most people don't give a shit about, you know, however great an idea your your desktop OS is or your hardware is. They just don't care. Uh, the, controlling the apps are everything. And that's, that's part of what's going on with universal apps. People want to control their ecosystems and we are, I mean, it's a runaway train to getting to that point. And I think the fact, I mean, you see what people can do with something like V Ridge to, or Ridge to where they can, you know, they, uh, fuck your ecosystem. <laughs> we'll make it work with anything. All these open standards and open systems, like, you know, even like Google cardboard and whatever, we'll make it work everywhere we want it to work. I mean, that they, these companies, a lot of these tech giants, they hate that. You figured out how to, how to get out of their ecosystem. How dare you, you terrible techno-anarchist or, you know, whatever term you want to use. That's not a real term. Really? Uh, so I'm excited that this exists. It's not perfect. It can only get better, but I think it will get better. And, you know, at some point... I don't know. You know, I mean, some somebody's going to pant something somewhere and, they're, you know, this is going to become at least illegal 
in in the U.S. But who you know who gives a shit because it, it'll only matter there. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I, I, I thought it was interesting that, that this happened. So there is way to, there is a way to be platform agnostic and of all amazing things. It comes from a combination of, you know, like an open VR kind of, I'll say standard like Google cardboard, which it pretty much is. I mean, you could, you can program stuff outside of the Google cardboard app if you want. Um, and of course, you know, the, the, the classic desktop, uh, that still allows for the most user freedom of any electronic device in the world today. Uh, and that's why it's still so important. Um, but anyway, let's talk about a couple other little stories, somewhat relative, actually, uh, I will be covering. And in fact, it was announced that, or someone found in various coding, they found a reference to Android VR, not cardboard. Not Google Cardboard, but Android VR is the reference they found in in, in some uh, some Google code. And so some people think that this is in reference to, and I've written about this, the dark Android blog, uh, that there was a report, I, I want to say it was Recode, maybe that talked about it, or maybe it was Wall Street Journal, that said that there was going to be a... Uh, a VR, an Android device that is not, it's not a smartphone, it's not a watch, whatever. It's its own device, but it is a virtual reality headset of some kind. And so some people think this is reference to that, and some people think it's going to get talked about at Google I.O. 2016, which is happening this coming week. Um, I will be covering Google I.O. 2016 uh, in next week's episode. I will talk all about whatever was revealed and all that. And of course I will do previews of all of it, um, at the dark Android blog. If you want to, if you want to keep an eye on that, um, now something else that's relevant to what we were just talking about with, with V Ridge or Vridge, uh, there is also, you know, speaking of finding, uh, various things, there's apparently a patent claim for a new NVIDIA shield tablet. Now, with the Dark Android uh, project, which if you don't know about it, go to darkandroid.info. The idea is to set up a really secure device, but you need open devices. You need open devices that are powerful and that also, uh, you know, are updated regularly. Uh, one of the one of the tablets that I've recommended, because remember, SIM, SIM cards themselves are gigantic security flaws. Now, you could use a SIM cardless phone as a as a little mini tablet. Of course, go go right ahead. That's fine. OK, but. Um, tablets that are like the, the tablets that I recommend are very few. I've done updates. You can read all about it at the dark Android blog, but one that's coming up is, is the updated shield tablet. Now I've recommended the shield tablets because NVIDIA has been really good about open sourcing their kernel, their kernel codes and all that. And, and, you know, updating AOSP, uh, which is the open source version of Android, um, for their tablets, for all of their shield devices in the past. Uh, so, this one may have a, a Tegra X1 in it, which is a ridiculously powerful processor. Um, you know, if you're if you're willing to wait, now there's a chance that this won't come out at all because that little Shield Portable, the, the one looks like a game controller, really unique, really cool idea. Uh, there was supposed to be a sequel to that where there was a patent filing for it, and it never it was never released. Um, but so there's a chance that this new shield, uh, tablet will never come out. Um, but if you're willing to wait a few months, I'd bet this is going to come out over the summer. And I think it'd be the one to grab because the shield K one, which is the previous shield tablet, uh, has a great track record of getting great updates, being very open, uh, and works very well for a dark Android device. And is also, I mean, very powerful, great hardware overall and inexpensive. It was only like a couple hundred bucks. Um, so the, the shield tablet, the, the X one version that could be upcoming, that's something to look for. And, uh, and again, you know, that, that would, um, 
you know, a lot of a uh, lot of unique abilities with the with Shield tablets. They they offer a lot of custom software and are really trying to create. I think Nvidia is creating their own little ecosystem as well, um, and and they offer things that no other Android device really does. Uh, so intriguing stuff, something to keep an eye out for. I was going to do an update about that at the Dark Android blog, but uh, but but there you go. And whenever they actually release, you know, I'm, I I would love it if Nvidia would release um, their own you know, VR only device for Android. I think that could be really exciting. And they have, a, you know, they, they definitely have the technical power prowess uh, to, to deliver such a thing. So anyway, um, let, let's switch this up uh, here. Here's something interesting while we're on the topic of Google. Um, and I think this bolsters uh, an opinion. I have uh, a thought I've shared uh, in the past, a, a prediction. And of course the prediction, I'll, I'll get to that first. The prediction is, is that Google slash alphabet slash Google is going to eventually become not a search company, not even necessarily an ad services company, even though it would still be a part of it, but they are going to become an entertainment company straight up and they will become the number one entertainment company uh, because YouTube is the number one way that the up and coming generations are consuming media. Uh, and so I think that the, that YouTube is really the future of Google. I've talked about why this is um, like you take even before they became before Google became Alphabet. Sundar Pichai, who was the CEO of, of Android or the head of Android and Chrome OS, um, he eventually was given control of all uh, of, of Google, Google's products and services, except one. He was not given uh, control of YouTube, and I think by default that includes Google Play Music All Access, which I would also say is, as far as function-wise, the best music streaming service available. Uh, and now, so YouTube has always been the separate animal, and I think they know it needs to be because it is taking a, a different path. And I don't think it's the backup plan. I think YouTube is is going to become the company. Hell, there might be a day where the name Google doesn't even exist anymore. And technically it doesn't. YouTube is its own company under Alphabet. But YouTube is going to be the moneymaker. It's the breadwinner. It's going to be the primary company. You will not think of Google as search anymore. Uh, personally, I think, uh, you know, well, Who's going to do search better than, than Google? I'll tell you who. Apple. And there's already been stories about that. We talked about that over a year ago on Sovereign Tech. Um, so anyway, and I th and believe me, I do think Apple can do search better. <laughs> I mean, they, they really could if they put And I think they are putting their minds to it. They're doing so many aqua hires at that company, uh, even though some people say they're not. No, no, they are. But anyway, uh, so my the, the story that bolsters that opinion about Google Alphabet slash Google pretty much just becoming an entertainment company and being YouTube, uh, you know, YouTube and YouTube music or Google Play Music All Access entirely uh, is that YouTube, they are implementing a messaging service into YouTube itself. I know. <laughs> okay. I know what you're probably thinking It's like, holy shit, what is going on at Google? Because they, there was a time where Google had a bunch of different messaging services. And then, and this was, uh, was this 2013? I think it was April of 2013 where they did project Babel or Babel, depending on which way you wanted to look at it. Some people were afraid to say Babel because you know, the biblical connotations of that, uh, which are negative according to the Bible, uh, I would argue about that negativity, but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So YouTube messaging 
you know, is going to like they're 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 going against seemingly Project Babel, which everything was supposed to be baked into Hangouts. But Hangouts has been such a clusterfuck. Um, now YouTube is going to have its own little messaging service and it, it works like a private messenger. It works like Facebook messaging effectively, just without all the stickers and, and, and a, exceptionally annoying and stupid bots. Um, and you can go to YouTube.com slash messages and you can start using it. Uh, and it's a little buggy right now, as I understand it. And some, you can get invited to use it on the app. There's a little tab that'll get added to your app. Uh, you don't need to do a, a new install of an app, as I understand it. It can all be done server side. Uh, so I, I think this bolsters this. Why create, why go through all the goddamn trouble of trying to unify all of your messaging services into Hangouts, you know, with this Project Babel or Babel? And then release another one for YouTube doesn't make any sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense under the fact that YouTube is the thing like that. It is the service that that Google has that actually is their future. Then it makes sense. Uh, but that's happening. So, you know, keep an eye out for it. Uh, it's uh, an interesting you know, interesting prospect. Uh, here's an, here's a little story. Uh, Tor and the FBI, here's a switch up. And I do have a great main story that I want to get into that a lot of people sent my way. Uh, so I want to get into it, but, uh, Tor and the FBI, there was, there's a bill going around that will apparently outlaw Tor, uh, there are the use of Tor in the United States. I just want to say real quick, um, I, I've said this in recent episodes, these bills, so many dumbass bills try to get passed and they generally uh, just don't, they don't go through. Um, I did talk about, we talked, there was a couple episodes ago, we talked about the email privacy uh, bill that was going through to where, you know, email gets treated with the same quote unquote respect uh, and privacy to where you need to get a warrant and everything and blah, 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 to be able to read it uh, as, as your normal postal mail does, which is you know, constitutionally protected or legally protected, whatever. Um, and that will probably pass, but most people probably think that that's a fine and dandy thing. Um, but a lot of these really dumb, you know, this dumb legislation, it just, it never goes through. Um, and I don't, I don't see this one, uh, going through at all either. So I'm just tossing it out there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry that much about it. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it's going to pass. And even if it does look, I mean, it's like the Brazil, this is another story. And, and I didn't come, I'll just comment on it quick here. Uh, in Brazil, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, they, they banned WhatsApp because of the encryption that it, that it had implemented now. And inside of like an hour, they overturned that ban. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know, you know, no doubt people that, that operate in government are, are moronic. I mean, just by the very nature that they want to operate in government, uh, I think does not speak well of your intelligence level. Um, but you know, eventually you got to realize, well, they'll just get it from somewhere else. I mean, you can, you cannot stop software. You can't, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. And there's nothing you're going to really be able to do about Tor. And I mean, and the answer is always the same. Use these things, use Tor, use PGP, use all this encryption, because then as they try and pass this stuff, uh, you know, it becomes, uh, you know, an issue of the commons to where, well, holy fuck, everybody's using it. Or are we going to throw everybody in jail? No, they can't throw everybody in jail. Uh, so that this, this bill doesn't, you know, doesn't really blow up my skirt in any way. Uh, no big deal. Um, something that's a little exciting and I hate to say it's exciting and, and that it, it's coming from because of the company that it comes from, uh, but Comcast figured out how to, 
Woo. Uh, 10 gigabit internet over coaxial, over coax cable. That's mind boggling to me because we're talking with coax. You know, we're, we're talking ancient technology by, by today's standards, decades old. I mean, this is the oldest fashioned way, you know, to transmit some kind of data over, over a cable. <laughs> I mean, it, it really, you know, that's, that's why cable companies have been using it forever. Now, what's interesting is, is that, and they're initially only offering, there's some cities where they're already offering this, uh, and they're initially only offering one gigabit. And they're using uh, the, the new standard Doxus 3.1, which right now Doxus 3.0 is kind of the was the big deal that came out a few years ago. Uh, but they don't have to. All they have to do is do some changes on various boxes. And I don't mean boxes is in your router, though. You will need a new router, I think, that can run Doxus 3.1 or a new modem, I should say, not router. You could you need a new modem that can do that. But you'll get that from Comca- Comcast anyway. Uh, and then they need to make some changes at the various, you know, at the box level, but they don't need to go digging up the streets and the cities that they're initially rolling this out to. Uh, and if you're wondering, yes, we did talk about this briefly on sex and science hour uh, as well in episode six of that, which thank you all for listening to that show, having a great time doing that with the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Woo. Woo. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> Look at beautiful as ever. Um, but uh, uh, so anyway, you know, all they have to do is change a little something at the box. I mean, and the cities that they're going to are obviously to directly compete with the likes of Google Fiber. But here's the advantage is that Google Fiber has to dig up the ground. They have to lay out all new fiber optic cabling. Uh, Verizon, same deal. Verizon Fios. They have to dig up all new stuff. You know, they have to. I mean, it, it, it costs a ton of money. It's worth doing, but it costs a ton of money, you know, to lay all that out. Um, And Fios, you know, Verizon already said they're not going to roll out Fios any further. Like they're done. They're just done. And so Comcast, uh, you know, really has taken the old technology and just figured out how to. And I don't know how exactly they've done this. I haven't seen any explanations yet. My best guess is that there's some kind of buffer that they're adding in at the box, you know, at, 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 at a certain level. Okay. Um, but I mean, to have the ability to get 10 gigabit internet over coax because coax is everywhere. You know, I mean, that that's awesome. I'm not giving com. I don't want to give Comcast any credit, but fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is really exciting. That means I could finally get 10 gigabit internet here is where right now I'm only using three megabit. Yes, I only use three megabit internet. Uh, that, I mean, that'd be phenomenal. And even if it's one gigabit, I mean, fine. You know, that that's that's really cool. So that's an interesting development, uh, to, you know, to have to have come out to be able to, to achieve such incredible speeds uh, over such, you know, really, really old infrastructure. Uh, good on them. So uh, talk, well, let's talk a little bit of other uh, impressive speeds. Um, Intel is releasing new style, solid state drives. Uh, they're called Optane. And supposedly with this, you know, their new, their new Optane NAND technology, they can trans or they, they can uh, uh, transfer, a 25 gigabyte movie file over Thunderbolt three in 15 seconds. Ooh, boy, <laughs> that is motherfucking fast. <laughs> 25 gig movie file. Now, granted, if of course they used one movie file, if they used, um, you know, like a folder, a 25 gig folder or something that that had a bunch of files within it, obviously that time would not be as impressive. One file is a lot easier to to transfer uh, than a bunch of them. But hot damn, I mean, <laughs> 15 seconds. 
that's that's something you know that that is i'll give them that that's impressive i mean to some degree these companies always massage these numbers a little bit you know uh i don't think comcast is massaging their numbers with the one gigabit internet but you know when you're doing these hardware tests yeah when the company that made the hardware is reaching out to you yeah they they massage the numbers or they they create very perfect conditions and all this but all the same you know for solid state drives to achieve those speeds uh that's that's pretty fucking amazing. I'll, I'll give them, I'll give credit where credit's due. Uh, oh, here, <laughs> all right, here's a couple of funny stories <laughs> and then we'll get into our main story. And again, we've got a doozy, um, a guy, you know, we, we talk about on sovereign tech, um, how, you know, there were, there were stories, uh, about, you know, drones being used, uh, really, really abused, uh, by law enforcement, of course, law enforcement shouldn't exist in the first place. Um, but you know, they use these drones and they used it on, on like cattle ranchers and also, I mean, just, just crazy shit that the stuff was used for. Um, and we talked about, you know, you know, and I've said that I really, I need to, I want to see really exciting anti-drone technology getting developed. Uh, because I mean, and you know, to say nothing of the fact of, you know, drones getting used overseas, uh, to kill children, you know, innocent children. And innocent adults, innocent people, uh, I, I mean, you know, being used by the war machine. I mean, it's just disgusting what gets done with drones. There's, there are good things that drones can be used for. I know that. Okay. Um, but anyway, I, I've really been a proponent of creating anti-drone technology. We've mentioned some of the companies uh, that are developing it to where they can microwave jam, uh, uh, you know, drones and all this. But what if you could just use a spear? <laughs> And I'll, I'll put the I'll put the link to the video in the show notes. But there was a, uh, you know, a, a bit of a Ren fair, a Renaissance fair, you know, medieval uh, fair uh, going on in Russia. And a drone was being used. Um, I'm not sure who exactly was the operator of the drone. I think maybe it was just somebody just a, just a photographer who was, uh, you know, recording the event overall. And a guy, you know, all all dressed up you know, in his, in his medieval armor and everything took his spear and this thing was, you know, quite a few feet in the air and he took that goddamn drone right out. I mean, he just, you can watch the video. He just launched it. Bam. <laughs> the drone was down. <laughs> I thought, I mean, not, you know, not that I want somebody's possessions getting trashed, you know, that being if, you know, the photographer's drone or whatever, but that was pretty cool. <laughs> like I, that was damn good. And I think the guy even like he, you know, not not the guy that threw the spear, but the guy that owned the drone shared the footage and said, "All right, yeah, look, the guy got me. I mean, come on, you know that this, this is fantastic." Uh, but you know, it raises. I mean, it's an awesome video to see. You got to check it out. But it raises the question. I mean. Yeah, I, I think there needs to be a very heavy debate. I know people are like, well, you can't be, you know, if you're a privacy purist, you're, you know, you're going to stop a lot of really great technologies from getting developed and all this stuff. And I, and I, I understand all that. Okay. I get that argument. Uh, you know, well, what if you, you know, don't care about your privacy, you give it up and, um, you know, and then, then you move on and you use a service or whatever. Anyway, I get all of those arguments. Okay. But I think there really needs to be especially, you know, by liberty minded people, there needs to be that conversation. Hey, you know, what do we do about these drones? Even if they're independently owned and being used by photographers and all stuff. Yeah. You don't own the photons that hit your face, but at the same time, you know, when a guy is taking 
you know, photographs of you. I mean, this is like with the paparazzi. If the paparazzi is all over you, I mean, I remember when when uh, Tommy Lee of Motley Crue, you know, had to cold cock a guy because like the camera, I mean, like the guy was just right in his face. And like, you know, isn't there an argument? I'm not and I'm not arguing for hitting anybody, but I mean, isn't there an argument for like personal space that, you know, that or isn't there an argument for being annoyed by something? When is that? When are these things infringing on someone else's personal peace? That conversation needs to be had. I mean, it's easy when it's law enforcement or it's the state and it's like, oh, can they use drone? No, because they shouldn't exist. Not the drones, but the state. No, they they have no right to use this stuff on anybody, you know, or any surveillance technology for that matter. We're going to talk about surveillance technologies later because, boy, the government's pulling some uh, some ugly tricks with that shit. Uh, But anyway, I I thought regardless, it was a funny story. Yeah, (laughs) you know. It was just this, this, this big Russian guy, you know, all dressed like he was out of, I don't know, you know, 11th century or 12th century England or something. And just, you know, lobs this spear and bam. <laughs> In fact, I, I shared it on various social media and I was like, you know, he's, he's not the hero we deserve, uh, but he's the hero we need. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, another little funny story. And then this is just a quick shot. And then we are going to get into the main story. Um, the LHC, that is the Large Hadron Collider, of course, in Gen- uh, near Geneva, Switzerland, uh, that is doing, you know, all that research on, on the God particle and blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. We've talked about it before, uh, but apparently had a, ran into a bit of a shutdown. Um, the entire system was shut down for, for a, a brief period of time. Uh, and I mean, we're, you know, we're talking about millions and billions of dollars. You know, it's just this giant piece of machinery uh, that is running. And it was shut down, um, not by, you know, anonymous or some hacker group or anything. Um, there wasn't a terrorist attack of any kind. It was shut down by a weasel. Yeah, not, I mean, not not some not like a weaselly human or anything, but by an actual weasel. Because <laughs> of course the LHC is you know in the middle of the forest, uh, you know outside of Geneva there, um, and this isn't the first time this shit's happened. Like, and some of them, some people say some of these stories aren't necessarily true. Like, I think it was like in '09, um, there was a, a supposedly like bird uh, a bird dropping a baguette. Uh, you know, in, into there was some electrical system that they dropped it into, you know, because yeah, the well, however it all works out. Uh, so <laughs> nature has shut down the most impressive machines we've ever built, you know, and, and, and that's that's a that's a humbling but also kind of empowering message, I think, uh, at, at the same time. So but <laughs> but good on the weasel, baby. And and good. You know what? Good on the fucking scientists for not saying it's like, <gasps> It was ISIS, you know, or something like that. I mean, like if it happened to to anything else, like, you know, like say if, if at the White House or something, you know, or some government building, the power went out. I think people would instantly say, oh, shit, it's an attack, you know, or, oh, the terrorists are doing blah, 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 blah. When, you know, it, it might have just been a little fucking animal that did it. I mean, people have a complete lack of common sense. It would appear, at least, if, you know, wherever all the truth lies within the story, that at least the scientists have, uh, you know, are, are aware that this sort of thing can happen. Then they don't jump to ridiculous conclusions uh, and, and are just like, oh, yeah, no, well, come to find out. It was just this little weasel that, that, that chewed on a cable here. And then, well, that's what happened. So anyway... <laughs> Just a funny little story. Um, but let's get into a story. And speaking of news, this, is, this has to directly do with news. Uh, let's talk about one that, that may not be so funny, uh, that may be problematic. Uh, 
And it, it, I'm going to talk about Facebook. De- deal with it, folks. I know people think it's ridiculous when I start complaining about social media. Well, if you read some stories, now people are telling you social media, as we understand it, is dead, or at least not social media, but social networks are dead, and everything is going off to messaging. Is that new for Sovereign Tech listeners? Nope. I told you that a long time ago. Um, but whatever. Uh, this was an exclusive story broken by The Guardian. Uh, and it's Facebook news selection is in hands of editors, not algorithms. Documents show, uh, leaked internal guidelines show human intervention at almost every stage of its news operation, akin to a traditional media organization. Now, what, what they're talking about here is the news section, which if you go to Facebook, don't go to your timeline or your wall or whatever that's called. When you go to the news feed at the top, right there is this little box of trending stories. Some people considering it, consider it one of the most valuable uh, uh, pieces of real estate on the internet. It's this little news section. And this is supposedly, it says like trending on it. It supposedly will show you what is trending, as in what people are reacting to. Unfortunately, with various leaks, it may not actually be what's trending. Um, now, I don't look at that little box. Um, this is also, and, and it's not just the little box. It also comes up, I think, when you do a search in the mobile app. Um, th- these trend, these trends will show up. Um, I, you know, most people I've talked to don't even look at that thing. They don't even know it's there. Uh, so this may not mean much to some, but uh, apparently some people do use it. Uh, there, there have been responses to the story, and a lot of people really think it's, you know, they, they do pay attention to that. And they consider And some people, I mean, and this is the other problem with this, too, is that that little trending box, news box, some people try their damnedest to get on that. Like, what can I do to get on that? How can I cheat the algorithms? It's kind of like SEO with Google search. How can I get, even though my website may have absolutely nothing to do with the topic that I'm typing in, how can I get my website to show up? Number one, how can I cheat the algorithms? And it does seem largely that Google is, does run largely on, on algorithms. Um, you know, as far as their search goes, and that's why SEO is such a, such a big business as it were. Anyway, let's read the story here from The Guardian. Uh, Leaked documents show how Facebook, now the biggest news distributor on the planet, relies on old-fashioned news values on top of its algorithms to determine what the hottest stories will be for the one billion people who visit the social network every day. The documents given to The Guardian come amid growing concerns over how Facebook decides what is news for its users. This week, the company was accused of an editorial bias uh, against conservative news organizations, prompting calls for a congressional inquiry from the U.S. Senate Commerce Committee Chair John Thune. The boilerplate about its news uh, operations provided to customers by the company suggests that much of its news, news gathering is determined by machines. Quote, the topics you see are based on a number of factors, including engagement, timelines, pages you've liked, and your location, says a, devote, says a page devoted to the question. How, quote, which in the page is called, quote, how does Facebook determine what topics are trending, end quote. But the documents show that the company relies heavily on the intervention of a small editorial team to determine what makes its quote unquote trending module headlines. The list of news topics that show up, uh, that's the, what I was talking about at the top on the side of the browser window. Uh, the company backed away from a pure algorithm approach in 2014 after criticism that it had not included enough coverage of unrest in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, in users' feeds. 
The, gu- the guidelines show human intervention and therefore editorial decisions at almost every stage of Facebook's trending news operation, a team that at one time was as few as 12 people. So I want to stop Stallion here. I want to stop for a second. So what was considered trending news on Facebook, which apparently means something to a lot of people. Again, I've also heard a lot of people that it doesn't mean anything to, you know, just to be fair on this. What you saw was controlled by 12 people. 12 people were controlling what a billion people saw. That that's the numbers. Is that okay? No. Is that, isn't the internet supposed to have, isn't algorithms and all these trustless systems supposed to be like, oh, it takes out the humans and only what really matters can actually show there. Uh, the math is perfect, blah, 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 blah. Well, I guess the fuck not. Reading on here, there, there's a bit of a breakdown uh, about these, these 12 people. Uh, here's the first dot or the first bullet point. A team of news editors working in shifts around the clock was instructed on how to inject stories into the trending topics module and how to blacklist topics for removal for up to a day over reasons, including quote, doesn't represent a real world event end quote left to the discretion of the editors. Now I'll stop right there. So there's certainly, I I could see where there, I mean, because you know, it's easy to see this and get very conspiratorial and say, well, Facebook is being just like, you know, the mainstream media to where they are controlling what news you get. And in reality, that statement is really true, obviously, according to this, Uh, you know, as to what level of nefariousness revolves around that is another story. Um, But I can easily see where you would want. I mean, the Internet, when you look at what happened with with uh, Microsoft's Tay chatbot, when you look at, uh, you know, when when you look at Bodie McBoatface, (laughs) that story. Uh, I mean, the Internet, if you went off of admittedly, if you went, I'll admit this, I'll give Facebook the credit here. If you went off of a purely algorithmic approach, you are going to end up with nothing but cats in that trending box news box. That's really that that's that's what would happen. OK, so I'm not saying that this wasn't needed. Sure, I, I get it. But. You know, let's be clear around the narrative here. Uh, let's go on to the next bullet point. The company wrote that, quote, the editorial team can inject a newsworthy topic, end quote, as well if users create something that attracts a lot of attention. For example, hashtag Black Lives Matter. Um, so so there, there's kind of a problem, though. OK, so I get it. You don't want Bodie McBoatface. Uh, you know, situations or Tay situations, situations, you know, to, to show up. You don't want cat videos to show up in that, that precious trending news box. Okay. But here's the problem. You can actually choose what you want to show up there. It doesn't actually have to be trending. So that box is a lie. Straight up. Like I get it that you want to try and have meaningful content there. Okay. But that's not the whole story. The whole story is that you you can put in things that you think are important, but that aren't trending. That's control. That, that, that's setting a narrative. That's narrative control. That's not narrative curation. Like, that's narrative control. Next bullet point. Facebook relies heavily on just 10 news sources to determine whether a trending news story has editorial authority. Quote, you should mark a topic as national story importance if it is among the one to three top stories of the day, end quote, reads the trending review guidelines for the U.S. Quote, we measure this by checking if it is leading at least five of the following 10 news websites, BBC News, CNN, 
Fox News, The Guardian, NBC News, The New York Times, USA Today, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, Yahoo News, or Yahoo, end quote. So pretty much you're not, you know, unless unless those sites consider it news, you're not going to you're not going to find it in that news box. Um, and so, so, you know, more or less Facebook isn't really showing you what's trending on the internet. It's showing you really what's trending in the mainstream media. So the internet failed you once again. Uh, it did not democratize information, at least not on Facebook. Uh, how about, all right, let, let's go to the next one. Strict guidelines are enforced around Facebook's quote unquote involved in this story feature, which pulls information from Facebook pages of newsmakers, say a sports star or a famous author. The guidelines give editors ways to determine which users pages are appropriate to cite and how prominently, uh, that that's a whole other thing. You can read more about the stories in the show notes for episode 175. You can look in the links. Um, but let's read on here. The company's guidelines are very similar to a traditional news organization's with a style guide reminiscent of the Associated Press's guide, a list of trusted sources, and instructions for determining newsworthiness. The Guardian also obtained the guidelines for moderating the quote-unquote in-the-story feature, now called involved in the story, blah, blah, blah. The guidelines are sure to bolster arguments that Facebook has made discriminatory editorial decisions against right-wing media. Conservatives would label the majority of Facebook's primary sources as liberal. They also appear to undermine claims this week from Facebook's vice president of search, Tom Stocky, who posted a statement addressing the controversy on the 9th of May. Quote, we do not insert stories artificially into trending topics and do not instruct our reviewers to do so. End quote. He wrote Stocky's statement may depend on the definition of the word artificially. In interviews with The Guardian, three former editors said they had indeed inserted stories that were not visible to users into the trending feed in order to make the experience more topical. All denied personal bias, but all said the, you know, all denied personal bias, but all said the human element was vital. So Stocky is effectively lying. Facebook is lying to you. Straight up. Or they're doing that bullshit legalese where, well, the word artificial actually means this and blah, blah, blah. No, they are injecting. That is the direct quote. They are injecting stories as seen needed. And what, you know, what revolves around that? Now, the I mean, the Guardian talked to people, to some reviewers, you know, perhaps of those original 12 or whatever. Um, and these people... You, you know, they wanted to remain anonymous because they were afraid of what Facebook would, you know, uh, they're, they're afraid of legal action against them. I mean, if Facebook wasn't doing anything wrong, why be afraid of the fucking legal action, right? Uh, I think there's a problem right there. Let's read a little bit more of this story. Reading on with uh, with the story here, a second list of thousand trusted sources was provided to The Guardian by Facebook. It includes prominent conservative news outlets such as Red State, Breitbart, The Drudge Report, and The Daily Caller. Uh, formerly former employees who worked in Facebook's news organization said that they did not agree with the Gizmodo report on Monday, alleging partisan misconduct on the part of the social network. They did admit the presence of human judgment in part because the company's algorithm did not always create the best possible mix of news, which stallion breaking in. That's what I was just saying. Reading on specifically uh, complaints about the absence from trending feeds of news reports about clashes between protesters and police in Ferguson in 2014 were evidence to Facebook that 
In the specific case of the trending module, humans had better news judgment than the company's algorithms. Multiple news stories criticized Facebook for apparently uh, prioritizing ice bucket challenge videos over the riots. Many said the incident proved that Twitter was the place for hard news and Facebook has a destiny was a destination for fluff. Quote, the guidelines demonstrate that we have a series of checks and balances in place uh, to help surface the most important popular stories, regardless of where they fall on the ideological spectrum, said uh, Justin Osofsky, Facebook's vice president of global operations. Quote, Facebook does not allow or advise the reviewers to systematically discriminate against sources of any political origin, uh, period. What these guidelines show is that we've approached this responsibly and with the goal of creating a high quality product in the hopes of delivering a meaningful experience for people who use our service quote trending topics uses a variety of mechanisms to help surface events and topics that are happening in the real world in our guidelines we rely on more than a thousand sources of news from around the world and of all sizes and viewpoints to help verify and characterize world events and what people are talking about the intent of verifying against news outlets is to surface topics that are meaningful to people and newsworthy we have at no time sought to weight any one viewpoint over another and in fact our guidelines are designed with the intent to make sure we do not do so. Uh, you're going to have to take their word for it. And I think they've already within, you know, just, just with the, uh, what's that guy's name? Tom Stocky. I think he already lied because he said that they do not artificially inject stories, but yet at the same time, the reports from Gizmodo and others who Gizmodo, I think more directly talked with some of these people, um, as to where maybe guardian got direct information from Facebook. Uh, they said that, Absolutely. They, you know, they could inject whatever they wanted to. They could artificially put things in there. Again, what is your definition of artificial? Uh, so face, you know, and another thing I think that was in the Gizmodo story was interesting is that you were not allowed to mention Twitter. You had to say social media or social networks. You, you did not mention the competition. Is there anything technically wrong with a company not wanting to mention the competition? No. Okay. But then let's, let's be clear on the narrative that this is by definition, not really trending because what if it's something about Twitter that's trending? You don't talk about it. What if it's something that happened on Twitter that's trending? Like, uh, what's a great story. How about what was that hashtag, uh, my NYPD or something where you're supposed to show like great, great pictures, you know, share your great pictures on Twitter of, you know, the, the New York police department helping you and everybody hilariously and properly just showed the New York police department as they do abusing everyone, you know, and, 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 you know, beating people and doing all these heinous things. Uh, you know, you can't say that this was happening on Twitter and where to look at it. It would just be like, well, on social networks, blah, 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 blah. Uh, this is, this is a problem. I'll admit this. This is a problem. Can Facebook do this as a company? Oh, fuck. Yes, they can. God, you people, you, you kill me with, with your when I get emails and messages like that saying it's like, well, so what if Facebook does this? Well, so what? Just don't tell me that somehow you're getting great news from them because you're not. Don't tell me that somehow. Oh, well, you know, this isn't this amazing that oh, capitalism has brought us Facebook and Facebook has democratized information. No, it's just become another system of control for it. Bullshit. There's good arguments to be made for having humans involved in the curation of content. Content curation is a fine thing. To some degree, I do it on this show. Okay? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, is that when you are telling people that when, when the basis around a certain system is 
what's trending among users of Facebook. It is creating a false narrative that somehow people actually give a shit what you're telling them when maybe they don't because you can inject your own stories. Facebook is lying to you again. Hell, I wouldn't be shocked if they're using the trending box as part of their, uh, you know, part of their, their behavioral experiments that they've been doing on people for years. Companies can do what they want. But then consumers can also say, fuck you. Get out of my face. I'm tired of your shit. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm tired of getting lied to. And that's what's happening here on Facebook. Yeah, they, they're controlling the news. They're just the mainstream media. There it is. Hey, look, we talk about decentralization. We talk about backing things up all the time on Sovereign Tech. So what I want you to do is I want you to take those ideas, take those principles and apply them to your wealth. Apply them to your money, okay? And so I want you to get your hands on some gold and some silver. I want you to go to Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. You got to check these guys out. Tim Fry, maybe you heard the interview uh, a few weeks ago. He is one of us, and he's running one of the best businesses out there right now. And he accepts Bitcoin. If you want to get your hands on some gold and silver, get your hands on it quick. And I mean quick. <laughs> like I've heard stories of people that have gotten verified, that have gotten their gold like in under. 24 hours shipped to them across the country. Unbelievable. Uh, so I'm telling you, you want to do this. If you have Bitcoin, you want, or, you know, you can use, you don't just have to use Bitcoin. There's other ways to go uh, to get it, but I want you to get your hands on some of the best precious metals out there with the best company, bar none in the Golden Stallion's opinion. And that's Roberts and Roberts. Go for it. Let them know Sovereign Tech sent you. Go to gold.zog.ninja. That'll take you to the right place. Gold.zog.ninja, Roberts and Roberts. They're ready to get you some gold, get you some silver for your Bitcoin or however you want to pay for it. Just check them out. They've been in business for 40 years. You can't beat it. Roberts and Roberts. Let's get back to Sovereign Tech. Pixel. Pixel, I'm being chased by assassin bots. I need an exit. Pixel. Brian Sovereign, come with me if you want to leave. Who are you? I'm Adelaide. I'll tell you more later. Get in the vehicle. Get in a car with a scantily clad and beautiful woman? Guess it's been my first choice before. Let's go. First choice. It is time for First Choice, where I cover the stories that get sent in to me through the various channels. Of course, you can go to contact.zog.ninja, and you can find all the ways to get in touch with me. Which, by the way, I'm going to prune a little bit of that list, but I'll let you know when I do. Uh, you know, as far as the ways to get in touch with me, because it's just it's just madness. And, like, really, you know, <laughs> all right, full disclosure, like, when I listen to other podcasts and other shows and all that stuff... All anybody ever gives out is a Twitter handle. And these people have, I mean, I, you know, I have a few thousand, uh, I don't know, like 7,000 Twitter followers. Okay. I mean, some of these people have like 20,000 Twitter followers and whatever else. And that's all they give out. And they get plenty of reaction from that. So I'm like, why do I have anything else? You know, I mean, yeah, the email address is good and all that. Cause I get, I mean, holy shit, the amount of emails I get. Uh, but anyway, so I will be pruning that just to let you know. But this is where I cover stories that do get sent in to me, uh, through those channels. And this one is, oh boy. <laughs> this is a doozy. 
Um, and it, it really it is an article that went uh, by James Pinkstone that went viral uh, from his blog, uh, Vellum Atlanta. And now I'm going, you know, I'm going to read the story. But then there are points, you know, there have been updates to this and there have been some criticisms of this. Uh, but it's the, the, the story is titled Apple Stole My Music. No, seriously. And I'm going to read here and then we'll get into it. Quote, the software is functioning as intended, end quote, said Amber. Quote, wait, I asked. So it's supposed to delete my personal files from my internal hard drive without asking my permission, end quote. Yes, she replied. I had just explained to Amber that 122 gigabytes of music files were missing from my laptop. I'd already visited the online forum, I said, and they were no help. Although several people had described problems similar to mine, they were all dismissed by condescending quote-unquote gurus who simply said that we, that we had mislocated our files. Uh, I had the free hard drive space to prove that wasn't the case. Or that we must have accidentally deleted the files ourselves. We hadn't. Amber explained that I should blow off these dismissive quote-unquote solutions offered online because Apple employees don't officially use the forums. Evidently, that honor is reserved for lost, frustrated people like me, and at least in this case, know-it-alls who would rather believe we were incompetent or lying than face the ugly truth that, that Apple has vastly overstepped its boundaries. What Amber explained was exactly what I'd feared, though the through the Apple Music subscription, which I had, Apple now deletes files from its users' computers. When I signed up for Apple Music, iTunes evaluated my massive collection of MP3s and WAV files, scanned Apple's database for what it considered matches, then removed the original files from my internal hard drive. Removed them. Deleted if Apple Music saw a file it didn't recognize, which came up often, since I'm a freelance composer and have many music files that I created myself, it would then download it to Apple's database, delete it from my hard drive, and serve it back to me when I wanted to listen, just like it would with my other music files it had, uh, it had deleted. This led to four immediate problems. Now, before I get into the immediate problems, Stallion breaking in. It, this is the, the first argument that everybody brought up about. And, and it's amazing at the complete lack of empathy that was given to this guy. And believe me, if my music collection was deleted, I'd be in some serious need of empathy. I mean, I have spent most of my life collecting that stuff. I'm not just talking about digital files. I mean, I went through the whole rigmarole of transferring, blah, blah, blah. I've done, I mean, man. Have I got some rare shit in my collection? I would want some some serious empathy because, I mean, music means a lot to me. Music actually, you know, is, is part of the way that I, you know, that that uh, I get in touch with myself and, you know, and experience the world and, and even, you know, do some degree of uh, self-therapy and things like this. Very important. So anyway, uh, so they're talking about... Uh, the the Apple Match service, which is something that apparently has to be turned on with a checkbox, something to that effect, in that if that checkbox was not activated, none of this would have been an issue. Uh, well, let's read on and, and talk more about that. Uh, here's the four problems. One, if Apple serves me my music, that means that when I don't have Wi-Fi access, I can't listen to it. When I say, quote unquote, my music, I don't mean the music that over 20 years since before iTunes existed, I painstakingly imported from thousands of CDs and saved to my computer's internal hard drive. I also mean original music that I recorded and saved to my computer. Apple and Wi-Fi access now decide if I can hear it and where and when. 
Number two, what Apple considers a match often isn't. That rare early version of Fountains, Fountains of Wayne's uh, Till I'll Do the Driving labeled as such still had its same label, but was instead replaced by the later released, more widely available version of the song. The piano demo of Sister Jack that I downloaded directly from Spoon's website 10 years ago replaced with the alternate, more common demo version of the song. What this means, then, is that Apple is engineering a future in which rare or varying mixes and versions of songs won't exist unless Apple decides they do. Said alternate versions will be replaced by the most mainstream version despite their original, at one time correct, titles, labels, and file contents. Number three, although I could click the little cloud icon next to each song title and quote-unquote get it back from Apple, their servers aren't fast enough to make it an easy task. It would take around 30 hours to get my music back. And even then, number four, should I choose to reclaim my songs via download, the files I would get back would not necessarily be the same as my original files. As a freelance composer, I save WAV files of my own composition, compositions rather than MP3s. WAV files have, have about 10 times the number of samples, so they just sound better. Since Apple Music does not support WAV files, as they stole my compositions and stored them in their servers, they also converted them to MP3s or AACs. So not only do I need to keep paying Apple Music just to access my own files... But I have to hear an inferior version of each recording instead of the one I created. Of course, there are more issues than this. Apple has faced widespread complaints regarding Apple Music displaying incorrect album art, mangling file information, and Apple geniuses, quote-unquote, being ill-informed on the subject, thus unable to offer working solutions. If you're wondering why Apple hasn't been sued yet, it's because the iTunes Terms of Service vaguely warns of this issue, then later indemnify Apple and preclude any litigation from uh, users who've been boned. Quote, iCloud Music Library is turned on automatically when you set up your Apple Music subscription. When your Apple uh, Music subscription term ends, you will lose access to any songs stored in your iCloud Music Library. You expressly agree. This is all coming from their, from Apple's EULA. You expressly agree that your use of or inability to use the Apple Music service is at your sole risk. In no case shall Apple, its directors, officers, employees, affiliates, agents, contractors, or licensors be liable for any direct, indirect, incidental, punitive, special, or consequential damages arising from your use of the Apple Music service or for any other claim related in any way to your use of the Apple Music service, blah, blah, blah. Any loss or damage of any, uh, of any kind incurred as a result of the use of any content or Apple Music products posted, transmitted, or otherwise made available via the Apple Music service, even if advised of their possibility. I recommend I recovered my original music files only by using a backup I made weeks earlier. Good move on their part. Many people don't back up as often as often as they should, though. So this isn't always an option. Amber relayed to me that she she's had to suffer through many calls from people who canceled their Apple Music subscription after the free three month trial, only to discover that all of their own music files had been deleted and there was no way to get them back. So my files were temporarily temporarily restored. But the only way to prevent this from happening over and over, according to Amber, was to cancel my subscription to Apple Music, which she herself doesn't use due to the above listed reasons, and to make sure my iCloud settings did not include storing any music backups. For about 10 years, I've been warning people, quote, hang on to your media. One day you won't buy a movie. This is uh, Stallion here. This this part is so key. You've got to hear this. One day you won't buy a movie. 
you'll buy the right to watch a movie, and that movie will be served to you. If the companies serving the movie don't want you to see it, or they want to change something, they will have the power to do so. They can alter history, and they can make you keep paying for things that you formerly could have just bought. Information will be a utility rather than a possession. Even information that you yourself have created will require unending recurring payments just to access, end quote. When given, when giving the above warning, however, even in my most Orwellian paranoia, I never could have dreamed that the content holders like Apple would also reach into your computer and take away what you're already owned. If taxi driver is on Netflix, Netflix doesn't come to your house and steal your taxi driver DVD, but that's where we're headed. When it comes to Apple Music, Apple is already there. Audacious, egregious, crazy. These are just some of the uh, adjectives I used in my conversation with Amber. She actually uh, asked me how I how I wanted to move forward, putting the onus of a solution back on me. I understand why, too. She's just as powerless as I am. I would love for Apple to face public backlash and financial ramifications for taking advantage of its customers in such a brazen and unethical way. But Apple seems beyond reproach at this point. It took three representatives before I could even speak to someone who comprehended what I was saying. And even when she admitted to Apple's shady practices, practice, she was able to offer no solutions besides don't use the product. When our data is finally a full-blown utility, however, just don't use the product will cease to be an option. Apple will be, in, will, will be in control, bringing their 1984 commercial full circle into a tragic, oppressive irony. And there is an update to all of this, but I, and I'll read the update. But I just want to stop here for a second, okay? Because th- th- that, that line, oh man, that line, <laughs> where... You know, I've talked about this on Sovereign Tech many times where I said it was like, you know, I don't like the fact uh, or with Google Play or yeah, Google Play games. There was a point where Sega, the company Sega, decided to remove like uh, was the Afterburner Climax and some other games, uh, even Jet Set Radio, which is a great game from the Google Play store. You already paid the hard money for those games. You can no longer play them. Because Sega took them out of the store. That is representative of what is going on here. In this case, it's with music. This is insane that this happens. I don't care what the technical aspects are around it. Well, you shouldn't have turned on Apple Apple Match or you know Music Match. That's the only way that this does this and all this stuff. There was another guy when Apple Music first started out who he had like a bunch of like rare remixes of uh, like some Ozzy songs, some live versions and all this stuff. And Apple just like wiped it all out. You know, I mean, this is not a singular problem and this is not being done by dumbasses. And it's crazy that, you know, I I know what I know what the automatic solution is, right? The solution is, well, you just need to make a backup copy of all of your music onto a separate hard drive. Okay, I agree with that, of course, but not everybody does that. Not everybody can even afford to do that. And a lot of people, you know, if we're talking about if the whole point of companies like Apple and Google and whoever else is, we want to offer convenience. Well, the convenience is, is that my files stay on my computer when I tell them to stay there. I love the way that that James here brings up the says not in my most Orwellian nightmare. Did I ever imagine? He said he knew, which I've talked about in Sovereign Tech before, that eventually information will become a utility that you're going to you're going to have to pay for. Okay. Regardless of how of how you know 
how you created it, even if it's your own shit, whatever. Okay, but I love how he says, not even in my most Orwellian nightmares did I ever think that these companies would actually reach into my computer and take the shit away. And you could say, well, he didn't do this right, oh, blah, 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 and there's this and this. He called Apple themselves, and their recommendation to him was don't use the goddamn service. How much more blatant can it get when you call these supposed fucking geniuses? Now, I have, I, you know, I want to read the update, but also I've got something here actually from a, a great guy that I, I just love, um, you know, real full on, you know, he's a definite supporter of liberty, uh, Mark Jeftovic of EasyDNS. Um, and he's, he, he, he shared this with me. He said, here's something else about Apple. If your payment method becomes invalid, as in your credit card expires, or in my case, I put it on hold because of a, a, a compromised merchant, you cannot access any content that you have already bought and paid for. At least nothing that you've bought and paid for that is on your Apple TV. Not until you rectify your payment method. Okay, so do you get that? And this goes true not just for the Apple TV. I'm sure this goes true for iTunes as well. Is that just if your payment method goes bad, and it's the one that you have on file with Apple, you cannot get access to your shit even if you already paid for it. What kind of future is this? What kind of wonderful company? Oh, such great services that they're offering us. Oh, oh, all this free day. Oh, oh, oh. I mean, I mean, you can just, you can hear the breathlessness of the people. It's just, these companies, they're so good to me. They're so good to me. They stole all this guy's music. Music he made himself. And then people, you know, and like I said at, at the beginning of this, it's amazing that people would be like, well, that dumbass didn't turn on Music Match. No, how about give this guy a little bit of empathy, you know, over the fact that some of his, some shit that he paid for, some shit that he blood, you know, laid out some blood, sweat, and tears for, some shit that he did his own personal work for, just got ripped away by Apple. And then how about that whole narrative that, oh, Apple's very easy to use. My grandmother can use Apple. Well, I hope your grandmother didn't record all those Pat Boone CDs and put them on her iPad because they're gone, baby. This is disgusting. Now, I want to read the response. And I believe we've got a ton more Sovereign Tech to get to. Here we go. This is So that happened on May 4th. This is from May 9th. Within hours of my blog post going viral, I received a phone call from John, an Apple representative. I cautiously heard him out. John wanted to get to the bottom of the issue and connected us both to Dave, one of Apple's technicians. Despite what Amber had told me, Dave asserted that deletion of original files isn't supposed to happen. So we have a complete miscommunication here, for one, uh, reading on. This obviously put me in an awkward position since I'd relied on Amber's expertise while writing my original blog. Although I'm guarded uh, since Apple has given me two conflicting responses, I really hope that Dave is correct because the alternative is RoboCop 2 level bleak. Speaking of, you know, a vision of the future. I want to believe in a future that is less Ready Player One and more Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So I talked with Dave about the... Yeah, absolutely. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Let's do it. Uh, So I talked with Dave about the details of what happened, answering his questions thoroughly. He's looking into the issue, and I'll be sure to post an update if or when we make any progress. In the days since then, I've received another call from Dave and some of his fellow engineers, but as of now, they've told me of no new breakthroughs. At the moment, I've been using uh, Swinsian as an iTunes alternative, and so far, I'm really uh, pleased with how smoothly and intuitively it operates. No, I'm not a shareholder yet. My 
original blog post was a warning aimed at helping others avoid a similar situation. But if Amber was incorrect and Apple Music is not supposed to delete the user's files, then I'm actually relieved. It means that all of us who suffered through this fell victim to a bug rather than something more malicious. We'll see, or maybe we'll never know. In the meantime, as Abraham Lincoln said, be excellent to each other. Uh, boy, be excellent to each other. That's great advice. And that's a phrase that doesn't get used enough anyway. Love the Bill and Ted's movies. Um, yeah, either way, like Apple, I don't think that they, they're not, they seem to be getting out in front of this, you know, and they responded and there is something to be said for when you make a big enough stink, you know, you can actually reach into the, the upper echelons as it were, and they can come down from their fucking mountain and actually try and help out. But there's no real solution here. And personally, like I said, this is just one case. I've brought up other cases. There's cases where, you know, Steam games can disappear, where Google Play games can disappear, apps disappear, all this stuff. All these services just go up in smoke, even after you've already paid for them. And we talked about the other thing from Mark Jetvik uh, to where, you know, you could already have paid for something. But until you put in proper credit card information, sorry, Jack, you're not getting access to your shit that you already bought and paid for. The user, the consumer is losing control by the day of their possessions of their, you know, stuff that they've paid money for. And I think that this is something that's going to, I mean, you know, I mean the salute, the real solution. Yeah. You can back everything up. The real solution is, is, uh, you know, I hate to, it's such a catch all phrase, but it's becoming more and more a reality these days, especially with some of the, the clusterfucks windows 10 is running into is use Linux, you know, use open source systems, where you can know, use these alternatives and keep using them, you know, to send the market signal that, no, we don't like what you're doing here. We don't like what you're pulling. Hard drive failures can cause all this, no doubt about it. Absolutely. And nobody would go after Western Digital for a hard drive failure. Of course not, you know, in, in, in those situations. But this is something where, you know, this is this is an overreach on Apple's part. This is ugly business, and I think the reality is not known. I don't, there's so many Apple apologists out there, and please understand, I hate all these companies, okay? I, I'm not, I'm not playing favorites on any of them, okay? But there's so many Apple apologists out there, that, and it was so bad, the reaction, because they're just like, well, you were too stupid. You know, you didn't know what you were doing, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you know, if we're going to follow that logic, I mean, then, then, I mean, you could say that about so many things. It's like, well, then why do we have any problems with the internet at all? It's because humanity's too fucking stupid, you know, and, and your lack of empathy, of course I'm giving a lack of empathy and saying it, you know, it's kind of highlighting it fucking crazy. So anyway, th this is just, this is madness. This kind of thing is going to become far more prevalent. Uh, when you start, you know, it's with the cloud. I mean, even with cloud storage, I love the old saying, there's no such thing as the cloud. There's just somebody else's computer. You are putting stuff on somebody else's computer. And if you thought about it that way, honestly, I don't think most people would do it. You know, would you ever go up to somebody and ask them, hey, do you mind if I just store this uh, for a little, you know, uh, for eternity on your laptop? No, nobody would do that. You know, maybe for a little while they would. But I mean, this is we really have to pay attention to these narratives. You have to understand what is exactly being done. You have to understand that you are losing control over what you over what you own in the digital space and you don't have to. And I'm not saying, I mean, look, if you like cloud storage and all that stuff, and if these things don't matter, and if you're willing to just buy it all over again and all that, well, then you choose to do that. Okay. But I don't think anybody would really choose and Apple really needs to figure this out. 
How exactly did it happen? How was there not a whole bunch of big warning signs that said, we're deleting all of your music? It shouldn't just be buried in the EULA. There should have been a huge window that pops up, you know, a huge pop up that says, uh, be careful when you activate this, we're going to take all, all your music. I don't think there's anywhere where you read it or, or like in, in like the explainer when you're installing iTunes or something like that, where it tells you that. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm sure it doesn't. And it should. There was a complete lack of explanation on Apple's part because they just want everything to work like magic, right? Well, guess what? Magic it doesn't exist. It failed. And here's the proof. I'll be back with more sovereignty. Are you tired of theorists talking about the free market as a cure-all for every problem without first-hand experience of how the market actually works? Well, the Free Coast Financial Radio app gives you wall-to-wall shows by hosts who not only understand the market, but tell you how they make money in a variety of investment and artistic endeavors. The Free Coast Financial Radio app for Android is 24-7 streaming audio content on finance, liberty, and technology from the coastal region of New Hampshire. Because there's a lot more to New Hampshire than just Keen. Free Coast Financial Radio. Useful information, compelling personalities, and superior audio quality. The Free Coast Financial Radio app is covered by the Bipcot NoGov license. Go on the Google Play Store or on Amazon and search Free Coast, all one word. And please rate and review. Worms. Whoa, hey, you want to slow down? I don't do slow. I move fast. Okay, well, so you're French. Everyone in the future speaks French. Wait, wait, wait. The future? From 2099. Permanent Autonomous Zone, Osiris One. You've been there. Oh, this isn't happening. It only thinks it's happening. How do I know you're from Osiris One? LGP fingerprint Omega 74656666. Okay, you're, you're legit. Hey, really, be careful. You drive like you're playing a video game. That is how you programmed me. Game talk. It is time. Oh, yes. I think I might have let the cat out of the bag a few episodes ago, but I told you that game talk would be returning, and it's here. <laughs> I'm really excited about this because you know what? So here's what game talk allows for. To, to some degree, though, sometimes there's been some very serious game talks, I'll admit, uh, particularly particularly relative actually to what we were just talking about with Apple to where like when Sega says, Oh yeah, uh, our games, we're going to remove our games from the Google play store and the, and, and from the app store to the iOS app store. Uh, and you can no longer play them again. Like that's a very serious issue. Um, so, but anyway, game talk allows a lot, make sure the show gets fun at some point. <laughs> and I think that's important because boy, I can get, obviously, as you just heard, I can get pretty hot and bothered. Uh, so I, I'm glad about this. I'm having a lot of people requested this. In fact, I, what really, you know, brought it home for me was I had two people and I got a story this week, a great story actually that I want to talk about. Um, two people that uh, I can think of in particular, one person had, had emailed me and said, you know, I hear that you're such a gamer. Like why you know, you know, why, why don't you ever talk about games? And so I made it a point that that, you know, when I got that email, it's like, well, I'll talk about games, at least in that episode. And I was like, yeah, you know, game talk, which was an old segment that ran for like a hundred episodes. Um, uh, you know, I love doing it because I am, I've always said I'm a, I'm a gamer first, then a historian, then a tech journalist in that order. 
Um, and I had another person who emailed me and said, it's like, boy, I'd love for Game Talk to come back. And actually quite a few people emailed kind of saying that sort of thing. Uh, so Game Talk is here. Um, and if you don't, you know, that's why I do the show in segments. If you have no interest in the world of gaming, you can, of course, skip this segment. But I think you might find it interesting all the same. Uh, a lot of people have said that I talk about things that they have absolutely no interest in, but somehow I make it interesting for them. So hopefully I will deliver the same um, with Game Talk here. So it's back. Really excited about this. We're going to try it out for another 25 episodes at least. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll see how reaction goes and how things go from there. Um, but I got a story in uh, from, a, from a great guy who actually, let me tell you, um, Obsolete Press. Okay, and I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to find it. They have restarted, and I actually got this story from a great friend of mine, a guy I just love, um, and that is uh, Ricardo Obsolete himself, the head of Rich Dana, who's the head of uh, Obsolete Press. Obsolete Press is this wild, like, zine. You know, if, if you've never heard of zine culture, the idea of like magazines that were really spreading out that didn't fall prey to, you know, the trending news problem on Facebook. Um, you know, Obsolete Press is one of these one of these classic zines that you can get. Uh, and, and anyway, check it out and links in the show notes. They just had a new issue come out. I loved it to death. Uh, and I'll probably read from it in, in the, in future episodes of CyberTech because it's such great work. Um, but got this story from him and I know why he sent this to me because he's also a listener of CyberTech. Uh, and he sent it to me because I've talked about, we talked about the retro VGS, um, which was a Kickstarter that was just a complete clusterfuck. It ended up being a, a total scam. Um, and the idea was though, was going back to cartridge gaming and I, you know, I am all for going back to cartridge gaming. Now, granted to some degree, we've never really left cartridge gaming. Cartridge gaming, of course, is the antithesis of digital gaming or also the antithesis, antithesis of CD-ROM based or DVD or Blu-ray based gaming. Uh, and you know, like the 3DS still uses cartridges, um, the Nintendo DS, which, you know, that's an older system now, uh, but that still uses cartridges. Cartridges are still kind of used. Um, and with Nintendo, speaking of Nintendo, with them having a new system coming out called the Nintendo NX, which we've covered uh, briefly, what what information we have on Sovereign Tech. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm a, absolutely a Nintendo fanboy. Uh, I think Nintendo is a company that genuinely innovates, unlike Apple. Uh, and well, maybe they're going back to cartridge gaming. This is from Ars Technica. I want to read the story here. Why Nintendo NX's rumored shift from discs to cartridges is actually smart. Now, I have a bit of a twist at the end of this, so get through the story with me, because I think this is actually going to go one step further than cartridge gaming, and I'll, I'll tell you what that is when we're done. Um, and this is uh, from Sam Mushkovich, who actually, he's, he's pretty cool. Uh, when Nintendo finally stopped producing cartridges for home consoles in 2001, the games industry breathed a sigh of relief. Finally, Nintendo was waking up to a modern era, one in which plummeting media prices and rising memory capacities made old cartridges look obsolete. Now, Nintendo is in a peculiar position, one in which it may not only return to chip-based media for its upcoming NX uh, home system software, but also one in which doing so may look like a good move. The savvy reporters at uh, British media reporting, uh, media reporting site Screen Critics were first to notice a major financial report from Micronix, a Japanese company that has provided memory-related chips to consoles as far back as the Nintendo 64. Micronix had already commented on serving uh, as a chip supplier of some sort for Nintendo NX uh, in January of this year. But in speaking about its uh, current fiscal year, which for Japanese companies ends in March 2017, 
the company spoke about higher expectations for its NOR flash business linked to the launch of the new Nintendo hardware. This leaves open the possibility that Micronics will simply provide the kind of BIOS or system memory chips that is that was has made for systems such as uh, for the Wii U and PlayStation 4. Still, the announcement's verbiage hints to an unexpected jump in sales percentage around the NX's launch window, which is also March 2017, by the way, they pushed it back, um, that would make more sense if linked to software sales as opposed to console sales, assuming an average game-to-console sales ratio at over 2 to 1 at any rate. Uh, the biggest detail lacking in Screen Critics' report is any confirmation that Micronix's next fiscal year will include a ramping up of 32 gigabyte capacity chips, and selling such chips to Nintendo at a cost comparable to or comparable to Blu-ray discs. Comparatively, the Nintendo 3DS portable system has a maximum cartridge size of 8 gigabytes, which is based on the system spec when it launched in early 2011. So call them whatever you want, flash drives, cartridges, game sticks, but these retro-sounding idea, uh, this retro-sounding idea has some forward-thinking goodness to it. Micronix's financial report requires a lot of reading between the lines, but it also hints to a seemingly obvious path for Nintendo's next system. The reason being, optimal, optimal optical discs ain't what they used to be. The Nintendo Wii U is the only current-gen home console to actively load software from its discs, while both the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 require disc-based games to dump their files onto a hard drive. Those games are playable without any downloads or internet connections, but ultimately, the discs get more mileage as DRM checks than as storage media. Optical drives can't keep up with modern CPU and GPU data bandwidth demands, a fact that any Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3 veteran can attest to after seeing so many of their games blurry, uh, slowly, slowly buffering textures. While ROM production would probably cost more than optical discs, the assumption is that the wholesale cost wouldn't be that much per unit, and certainly not as much as the N64 cartridges cost compared to CD-ROMs in the late 90s. Plus, Nintendo's fiscal year 2017 projection included statements that the new console would not be sold at a loss. A quick path to that would be removing a bulky, expensive, optical disk drive, and perhaps selling an entry-level NX model with a smaller amount of onboard flash memory, or none at all. If a 32-gigabyte ROM chip with a large enough rewritable sector for patch support could replace both a Blu-ray disk and a rewritable system memory without ramping up costs a la the 64DD, which was a failed N64 add-on, um, then that would be a pretty forward-looking way to treat the old dinosaur that, the old dinosaur that is physical media on gaming consoles. Even as it has toyed with DLC, Nintendo has continued to prioritize getting finished versions of games into stores, and if the production costs can stay close to discs, then a flashcard or retro-looking cartridge would work out in Nintendo's favor. And until Nintendo decides to open up its systems to whatever software we want to, or we want to install, this may be the best we can hope for. A lot of, there's a lot of ifs. Uh, have to add up for this theory to pan out, of course, but the, at the very least, third-party game producers have proven willing to shell out for proprietary media in the form of 3DS cartridges, and those third parties have Nintendo eShops uh, as Nintendo's eShop as a viable, no-cost-per-unit alternative, no matter what media Nintendo decides on. So much remains to be seen uh, about what shape and form Nintendo NX will take, but we uh, see at least one opportunity for Nintendo to lead in the console space and not just follow. Uh, so this is this is pretty interesting stuff. Um, and I want to break down the story because I think there's a lot here. So, okay, so here was the thing, is that cartridges now granted, like at the time especially, with the N64, say, versus the PlayStation 1, 
cartridges could not do like full full motion video. Uh, they couldn't do the level of music. There was so much that they could that they couldn't do compared to a CD ROM at the time. Um, that even if CD ROMs were, you know, if the discs themselves were more expensive than say a cartridge to make, like an N sixty four cartridge, uh, CD ROMs were going to win the day because they were just more technically capable. Um, this is no longer that that technically capable aspect is no longer true. Uh, also like Blu-ray discs and the amount of space it takes, you know, to store, uh, uh, games onto, onto an actual disc, like say for a system like the Wii U or something like that. Um, flash, you know, flash memory is comparable to the price of say a Blu-ray disc. You know, what you can do on flash memory for the price is directly, is almost directly comparable. I think to what you can do on a disc today, uh, you know, onto an optical disc that is CD-ROM, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. Uh, and so with that in mind, I mean, now, you know, cause at, at the time there was, it was far more inexpensive to create a C, you know, to, to make a CD ROM than it is to, you know, make it, make a cartridge. It, the whole world's gone backwards now. <laughs> okay. That, that, all of that is no longer true. Uh, so this is a viable, especially at the amounts, you know, the wholesale levels that, Nintendo would purchase these, uh, you know, these quote unquote cartridges at these flash, you know, flash drive cartridges at, uh, you know, it would be fiscally viable. Like, I mean, it would make sense on, on, you know, monetarily, but I think this might actually go a little bit further. And before I get into how it's going to go further, I do want to say that honestly, like if they sold like mini NES style cartridges that could plug into because there's a chance that the nx is going to be some kind of like hybrid portable slash uh home console console like like it could be both now if they made like smaller nes style cartridges or even super nintendo cartridges um i think there'd be a huge nostalgia factor around that and it would it would sell gangbusters this metric cannot be driven home far enough the average gamer the average gamer today is the same age as me they're 35 okay they're like that that's that's the age so and a 35 year old i mean when i think games when i think of gaming fondly i think of the nes and i'm sure that's true for a lot of them so i think you could they could really pull on the nostalgia strings with this and i think it could be a very viable you know very viable market um and and this is the other thing too before i get into where i think this is really going to go um the fact that Nintendo, and I give them a lot of credit for this, that they don't release patches for a whole lot of their games is fucking great. That's awesome that they do that. Uh, because I love the fact that, no, we make a perfect game, and if there's a glitch, well, that glitch ends up going out down in the annals, of, you know, not the annals, the annals of history, and, and, and people consider it a feature and not a bug, which used to be how people used to think about bugs in games. Um, you know, it was a cool thing to find them. It wasn't like, oh, shit, this, this bug this sucks. Uh, and so I like that, that they don't need to have this, this, you know, Nintendo could really pull off a lot of what the retro VGS's you know, narrative was. They could do it with the Nintendo NX. They could release finished products, get them out there. And I would, if I was Nintendo, I would celebrate that. I would market that. It's like, no, you're not going to get bugs with our games. We're going to sell them to you one and done. Awesome. Good. I extreme programming. So fucking annoying with that. It's like, oh, we'll just keep patching it. We'll just keep patching. It. We'll just keep patching it. I think it makes programmers lazy. Uh, so that's annoying to me. But now where I really think this is going to go, and I've actually been saving this subject uh, for a game talk for some time. 
Um, I, I could see us going back to cartridge based gaming and I'm all for it. And I think that's exciting. And I would love for my own games, Hypercronius Ninja Track, Hypercronius 2 and all that from Zomi Offline Games, my game company to also come out on those cartridges. I am ready to go for that. Okay. But what I think it might actually happen is that, you know, we talk about, because this is an antithesis move. This is an antithetical move to the digital, uh, like the, you know, distribution stores that you have like steam and origin, uh, and even Nintendo's own eShop, uh, and in the PlayStation network and Xbox live and all that. Okay. This is a, you know, this is an alternative move. And while some of these, you know, uh, game distribution, digital distributors like, uh, like steam and whatever have become very popular, and, you know, people have games of, you know, thousands of games within their libraries and all of this and, and all that's really great. And of course, GOG.com, I mean, all these things are fantastic. Some of the biggest games out there do not exist within any of these game distributors. Not really. Uh, Minecraft has started to become a part of that, but, but some of these games like Strife, League of Legends, and some of these other ones, some of these games go far beyond their digital distribution services. Some of them work independently. Uh, Warcraft, everything from Blizzard, you know, pretty much works independently. And what I could see happening isn't where I see the gaming industry potentially going. Isn't just like to, Oh, a new console because the console market's changing. Uh, we've talked about that briefly in the past with like the PS4K coming out in much shorter order that we talked about that on Sovereign Tech. But what I see potentially happening is, is that you will actually buy a game and this is sort of going back to, you know, in a much more advanced fashion to something that already existed with handheld games uh, like Tiger Electronics, you know, their, their games where it was one game on the system and, and you just played that. I could see this going to where when you buy, say, No Man's Sky, like that, that's an exciting game that's coming out. You buy that, that game will come like on a, on a little, like a kind of like a, a Chromecast or on a fire TV stick, something like that. And you just, you plug that into the HDMI port on your TV and it has the game and everything already installed on it. And it has, you know, the little piece of hardware. It's like those little, uh, Intel, Intel has those little kind of TV stick type computers, not the nukes. It's the, the Intel, whatever they, they call them. I forget the name, but that you would buy the game that way. The game would come as the game, the hardware and all, and you would just end up plugging it into whatever screen you happen to have available. That's how far I think this could go. I could see cartridges coming back. I could see gaming becoming more of a hard, you know, relying more on hardware in the near future. But I think this is going to be, this is going to be the eventual switch is that you're going to have to where like no man's sky will just exist on a mini computer on its own little computer that you plug in. That computer could have, I don't know, a terabyte on it, of flash storage. And for a game like no man's sky, where like, you know, you can't even explore 4% of the universe that it randomly generates. Uh, that would be a thing or like league of legends will just exist on its own, on its own, you know, device and all that. And this is, I think this is an exciting thing for a lot of game developers to do. Because it allows them to custom, to tailor the game to take advantage of the hardware. This is like what Apple does to where it's able to take advantage of the hardware. This is something Nintendo's been doing forever to where they create various hardware abilities like the Nintendo DS and all these little tricks. And they, their games and their games alone and whatever third party wants to try it out gets to take advantage of the hardware. And so I think 
I think that's how far this will go. I see cartridges coming back. Maybe Nintendo isn't going to be doing that. That's kind of conjecture. You know, it's conjecture. But I could see those coming back. And also, I could see this next step to where you're not just buying a cartridge. You're buying the whole machine. You're buying the game. You know, you're buying the machine with one game on it. I remember the first game I ever played, of course, was Pong. And that came on its own little box that you plugged into your TV. And I think that that could end up happening. That could end up being the future where you buy the hardware and the game in one single package and you just plug it into your TV or monitor or whatever and you go to town. It's kind of exciting. All right, Savernati. You know, do you remember those two guys I had on recently? Fantastic. They did an interview. You had Ed Barsano, who was previously with Microsoft, and we had Pace Ellsworth. They're both from Cool Trade. Well, look, I got to tell you, you want to try this out. <laughs> okay. It's a robot. It watches the market, updates your stock prices every second. That's right. This is all about investing, baby. You want to get in on it. Uh, and never misses a beat. Since it trades, it has stealth mode. Uh, 100% of the time, it takes profits away from Wall Street, and Wall Street can't do anything about it. Nobody knows what your goals are. I'm really honored that they are a sponsor for Sovereign Tech. Pace and Ed, they've got it together. Uh, You know, again, no guarantees of results, but look at the shit that's going on in Wall Street right now. (laughs) If you could take advantage of that, if you could game that system with software like CoolTrade, you want to be doing that. Programmer for CoolTrade, Ed Barsano, uh, still sells one-year licenses on his website for $3,500, but Pace Ellsworth has hooked us up. That's right, our good anarchist friend, Pace Ellsworth, uh, he's negotiated an awesome deal. You can get your money growing on a pilot for $5.97 per quarter. $5.97. Like I said, uh, you really want to be in on this. And also, I mean, when you're trading online, usually, what, $7 to $10 a trade? With Cool Trade on a lot of online brokerages, you can get $1 trades. Only $1. Even if you start with $3,000 or $5,000, hell, you can go up to a million if you want to. Get started. Or just ask them more about it, go to smartmarketshow.com slash sovereign. Smartmarketshow.com slash sovereign. Or you can call Pace directly. Very approachable guy. I know. He's a great guy. 480-636-0927. It's 480-636-0927. He'll, get you the, he'll hook you right up. Let him know that the Golden Stallion sent you. He'll know exactly who you're talking about because he's a fan of this show himself. Uh, so you want to get in on this, go ahead and, and he'll hook you up into the smart market, the automation community. Really cool. I mean, just, just great information uh, to, to glean there and to get in on, get on with it. Cool trade, smartmarketshow.com slash sovereign. All right, let's get back to sovereign tech. Pixel says it should be this panel. We need to hack into the control center to shut down all of those assassin bots. Well, you're the Android. Can't you just jack in? Oui, uh, but the way I connect is more like a jack-off. Was that a joke? Hacking is no joke. Hmm, directly connecting certainly beats doing it with the keyboard. Hmm, you're notorious for your love of cyber sex. Okay, now that was a joke. Just get hacking. A quick hack solves everything. Hacks it is time for HackSec, where we talk issues of hacking and security. And of course, on this show, hackers are heroes. Uh, and if they're not, if they're doing something malicious, of course, we call them crackers. And yeah, let your jokes ride. But um, those are technical terms that have been used in the past. And I like to use them. But anyway, uh, this week we've got, we're going to definitely be talking security issues. And I, I've got two of them that I want to talk about. Uh, be, and and they're, a, they're a little scary, I'll admit. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. And it actually, 
you know, one of the things that, that annoys me the most uh, when you're in the business of being concerned about privacy issues when it comes to technology or security issues when it comes to technology and all that is that you get from a lot of people, you, you get this response of, oh, that'll never happen. Oh, they'll never do that. Oh, they wouldn't do that here. You know, you get that all that that kind of shit all the time. Well, and this might this this might start off sounding kind of funny, but here's a case where no, guess what? It is being done here. It is happening, uh, and it's ridiculous that it is happening. This is from the Register, uh, and the story is: cops deploy Stingray. Anti-terror tech. Now, Stingray anti-terror tech is all designed for specifically designed and specifically legislated to be used uh, against terrorism and to track cell phones. Okay, that that's the purpose. We've talked about Stingray in previous episodes of of Sovereign Tech when they first released it. So Stingray anti-terror tech against a $50 chicken wing thief. And I love the fact that uh, Kieran, Kieran McCarthy wrote this. And just underneath it says, what do you mean abuse of privacy? Police in Maryland use controversial cell phone tracking technology intended only for the most serious crimes to track down a man who stole $50 worth of chicken wings. Police in Annapolis, an hour's drive from the heart of government in Washington, D.C., used a Stingray cell tower simulator in an effort to find the location of a man who had earlier robbed a pizza bully employee of 15 chicken wings and three sandwiches. Total worth $56.77. Okay, look, I'm not, I'm not, theft is not okay, all right? But let's just be clear, obviously, the guy was hungry. Just break that down to what this is about, a guy being hungry. Reading on, in that, ca- in that case, according to the police log, a court order was sought and received, but in many other cases across the United States, the technology is being used with minimal oversight, uh, despite the fact that it is only supposed to be used in the most serious cases, such as terrorism. Stingray devices work by impersonating cell phone masks, so uh, nearby phones connect to them and automatically hand over their unique ID numbers, allowing investigators to track the handsets and their owners by location. Annapolis police never found the thief, but he represents just one of 17 occasions in which the city of of the within which the city of 40,000 people used the device in 2011. Its use is far more prevalent in larger cities. The Philip Merrill College of Journalism's Capital News Service found that Maryland State Police has used a stingray at least 125 times since 2012. Howard Country, which lies to the south of Baltimore and with a population of 300,000, has used a stingray 129 times since 2011. The police in Baltimore City have used its stingray an extraordinary 4,300 times since 2007, sparking an investigation and review of 2,000 of them. New York City has used its Stingray more than 1,000 times since 2008. There are strict restrictions on the use of the device because it sucks up information on any mobile phones in the area, raising privacy concerns. It is also capable of effectively shutting down a specific phone, forcing it to be reset, or causing a service blackout in an area. An outcry over the enormous use of the device by Baltimore City Police led to a change in the law that required the cops to get a court order before carrying out surveillance except in extreme circumstances. But even with that law in place, information remains very limited on where and for what the devices are used and what is done with any gathered data. The lack of a federal law also means that the rules around Stingray use very widely across the country with some states, including California, placing strict limitations around it and others requiring minimal justification from law enforcement. 
Efforts to find out how extensively the technology is being used have also run into a wall of secrecy, with the devices themselves often provided to local law enforcement by the FBI, who have gone uh, to extraordinary lengths to keep details of their use quiet and also required local law enforcers to sign confidentiality agreements before being allowed to use the device. In a growing number of cases, people accused of a range of crimes from minor to serious have seen their cases dropped or their sentences reduced after Stingray evidence has been removed in order to keep its details secret, with prosecutors often citing national security. Defense attorneys across the country are increasingly looking to see if the police have used the Stingray device against their clients. Even in cases where the individual in question admits their guilt, many question whether the use of technology that is supposed to be rolled out only in the most serious circumstances are appropriate for minor thefts. Other questions, the high cost. Howard County has spent at least $452,000 on its system since 2011. Annapolis received uh, Annapolis police received a $185,000 grant to cover its use. This is where your tax dollars are going. Reading on, other countries have reported spending an average, uh, on average, $250,000 for their versions, some of which is, uh, is on acquiring equipment and some in, on annual maintenance contracts and upgrades. What it does acknowledge, uh, the exist, when it does acknowledge the existence of the technology, law enforcement often cites important cases where it has helped solve serious crimes, including kidnapping and armed robbery. However, the fact that it was used to track down a man who had stolen $50 of food and the ongoing lack of transparency and justification for stingray use across the country continues to worry both public defenders, privacy advocates and legislatures, legislators. Yeah, folks. What, what more do I need to say? Uh, we, you know, like I said at the beginning, people talk about, oh, well, you know, we need this technology to protect us from the terrorists. Do you really need this technology to protect you from a guy stealing some food? Do you really need to roll out multi-million dollar technology to catch a guy that grabs some chicken wings? Are you kidding well, they would never use it against us like that. Oh, they wouldn't use it for such minor crimes. I don't know if a crime gets any more minor than some food getting stolen. I don't know if a crime and, and of a guy being hungry, okay, I mean, how, how much more minor does it get? What are you going to do? How's this going to roll out in the future? You're going to call up the local police and say, hey, could you use Stingray, please, to find my kid? I don't know. I, they, they, I haven't seen them in like five minutes, so I, I don't know where they are, blah, blah, blah. And I don't mean to, you know, kidnapping it does happen. I don't mean to minimize that. I'm just saying, you know, police used to have to actually do some police work. Law enforcement and all this, they used to have to actually like, I don't know, think. Instead of just say, hey, flick that switch and let's start tracking everybody. Let's get the dolphins in with the tuna. This is this is this is insane. Yes, absolutely. Any technology that comes out will be used tyrannically like this. You know, anything that gets into the hands of the police and whatever law enforcement agency, government in general. Absolutely. Yes, we'll get used for the most minor things. Here is the proof. Don't email me saying, oh, it'll never get used for that kind of shit, man. It doesn't get any more basic than stealing some chicken wings. It will get used against you. Now, I've got another story uh, that I want to cover. And you know, actually, I'll, I'll save this story for, uh, for the next segment.
The reviews are in, and Babylon 5's a winner. The New York Daily News says Babylon 5 could make Star Wars look like a walk in the park. The Chicago Sun-Times calls it a welcome addition to the sci-fi universe. Impressive, perfectly scaled for TV, raves the LA Times. And the Kansas City Star says Babylon 5 is one space station you're likely to want to visit frequently. See for yourself what everyone's talking about on Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Adelaide, why are we stopping? In the future, uh, we have a custom. Uh, what's the custom? After a successful mission, a team usually is love. A menage a trois. Or orgy. Yeah, there's there's only two of us. I already contacted the others to come join us. I love women, too. Whoa, Hadley, you're beautiful, but you're an android. I am fully functional. I am programmed in multiple techniques. A broad variety of... Mm. Uh, uh, wow, I, I guess so. You did say you move fast. Uh, uh, Adelaide, the future is going to be so good. It is time for the climax. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, hope you're loving the new intros. Anyway, um, I was originally going to, people asked me, what do you think of the whole Craig Wright thing? Um, and I was originally going to spend the climax talking about that. But I already, if you listen to uh, episode six of Sex and Science Hour this week, which you can find at sexandsciencehour.com or at zog.ninja, um, we, Stephanie and I, and Stephanie had great things to say on the matter. We already covered it. I already said everything I wanted to say on it right there. Uh, it's in the opening segment. Okay. So you can go check that out, um, you know, and, and listen to it there. Uh, you know, if you want to hear about it, you will notice that the Q and a section is missing from sovereign tech. Now I'll tell you more about that another time. Um, but, uh, don't worry. Q and a is not going away, but there, there's something special going on. Um, so anyway, uh, what I do want to talk about, this is a story I was going to do a couple stories for Hexec, um, but I'm going to I'm, I'm going to do the story right here. Uh, but I mean, you know, to put it simply with Craig Wright, no, of course, he's not Satoshi. I said that there is an episode. In fact, the episode title of of Sex and Science Hour was Mr. Wrong. I mean, if that doesn't tell you the story right there. Uh, but I said it months ago. I think it was when I was talking about um, maybe it was when all that crap happened with Mike Hearn. I mentioned that Craig, I said, Craig Wright is so philosophically lost and, and so like intellectually bankrupt that, uh, there's no way that that's Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, and I mean, and even everything that he's done is like, there is no proof in that pudding folks. Uh, there's none. And I, I've seen him talk personally, you know, of course via Skype, but I was right there and I can tell you that this guy does not have the, I mean, he's, he's not there. So anyway, uh, no, he is not 
Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, and it doesn't really matter who Satoshi Nakamoto is, but you can hear all of my thoughts and, and Stephanie's as well on Sex and Science Hour about that. Uh, so what I want to cover, I'm going to, you know, the climax is where I can talk about anything. It could be a movie, TV show, book, whatever. And in this case, I'm going to talk about a topic. And the topic is actually kind of another story, but it's an important one to get out there because it also proves much of what we've been saying for a long, long time on Sovereign Tech. And I love it when that happens. Uh, and so this is from Ars Technica. Uh, and it's Philadelphia Cops Admit they put Google Maps sticker on a surveillance vehicle. Uh, and, oh boy, uh, I'll just read a little bit and then I want to talk about it. The Philadelphia Police Department has refused to answer Ars's questions about how or why it deployed an unmarked police vehicle equipped with at least one license plate reader and a bizarre Google Maps decal. And you can see it. It's like right in the window. You can see the picture if you go to link in the show notes uh, at zog.ninja or sovereigntech.com. Just look for episode 175. Lieutenant John Stanford, a spokesman for the department, repeated a statement he previously sent to uh, Vice Motherboard, which broke the story on Thursday. Quote, we have been informed that this unmarked vehicle belongs to the police department. However, the placing of any particular decal on the vehicle was not approved th through any chain of command, he wrote. Uh, quote, once this was brought to our attention, it was ordered that the decals be removed immediately, end quote. Our specifically asked if one, only one such vehicle was disguised as being a Google vehicle, who authorized this deployment, and whether the PPD, F Philadelphia Police Department, has used similar tactics, tactics in the past. Lieutenant Stanford did not respond on any front. And here's an update. Uh, Lieutenant Stanford has now responded saying, yes, this was the only one. And no, the PPD has not used similar tactics in the past. Uh, a Google spokeswoman told Ars that the vehicle is not a company car, adding, quote, we are currently looking into the matter, end quote. Vice Motherboard reported earlier that it had found this vehicle after uh, from a tweet by University of Pennsylvania computer science professor. And here's the tweet. WTF? Pennsylvania State Police license plate reader SUV camouflaged as Google Street View vehicle? As Ars has reported for years, license plate readers are used by law enforcement agencies, big and small, uh, nationwide as a way to automatically scan, record, and analyze potentially wanted or stolen license plates, blah, 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 blah. Uh, of course, in my now native New Hampshire, I'm not originally from here, but in New Hampshire, where I do record from, uh, license plate readers of that type are not allowed. It is the only state, maybe the only state in the nation that, that in the U.S. that is so. Uh, but regardless, um, you know, Google saying we are currently looking into the matter. I am going to keep an eye on this story. I am not going to let this story die. Because, and I, I shared this on social media already, but if Google does nothing short, like nothing, if they don't sue the pants off, if they don't sue the shit out of the PPD, then honestly, I... Any any Google symbol you see anywhere, offline, online, you might as well just equate it with the state. Finally. You can't trust that shit. And it's funny, too. This is so funny. Because this, this kind of gets in line with what we were talking about in the last segment, right? About how people say, oh, well, yeah, there's streetcar views, but without it, you never have maps, and they would never use those pictures against you and all that stuff. No, comes to turn out, yeah, okay, fine, maybe Google didn't do it. Maybe, maybe, big maybe, okay? But guess who will use, you know, that whole Google mapping project against you? The police! The government! They are using it against you in such a simple way. I mean, credit where credit's due, 
It was whoever came up with this was pretty fucking clever. It's disgusting, but it's pretty fucking clever. Yeah, all these technology, I mean, it's so funny, like, like the, this is the nightmare come true, is that, well, you know, uh, yeah, the Street View thing, I mean, what is, what's this car doing? I don't want it to see me. Uh, it's, it's going to be used against me and all this stuff. Okay, maybe the technology itself didn't get used against you, but the narrative that it was somehow benign did get used against you. Again, it all comes down to that narrative, folks. The narrative is that this technology will not hurt you. Bullshit. And understand, police forces, I mean, you know, they are preying upon you. They are not protecting you. If they were protecting you, I mean, there's no need to be hiding as a Google car if they're protecting you. If everybody just, oh man, come on, people. It's perfect. I mean, it just perfectly represents that whether Google's, you know, uh, you know, involved personally or not, all of their technologies are being used by the state in one form or another, even in such a quote unquote clever fashion to, you know, to be used against you, to keep track of you. I mean, what's the problem, folks? You don't feel comfortable that there's license plate readers out there? What's wrong? Why do the PPD think they have to hide? What's what what's the big deal here? Obviously, you know my sarcasm. I mean, this is unbelievable. And it really is up to Google. Google needs to, and even if it's a farce, even if the whole thing is just for just to like save their face in PR, they need to be suing the police, the, the Philadelphia Police Department or the Pennsylvania, whoever. Saying, what the fuck were you thinking? This is bad. I mean, they need, they need about, you know, just saying we're looking into the matter. That is not good enough. Google's got, they really, they need to step up and, and say what is, you know, what exactly happened here? What was going on? They need to do a press release about this. They need, like I said, and look, I don't care for legal action whatsoever. I'm just saying in the popular mindset, they need to either be doing that. They need to be taking action against this police department or otherwise, as I said, in my opinion, my recommendation is anytime, anywhere you see the Google logo or a Google services logo or an alphabet logo or whatever, it's synonymous with the state because you can't be sure anymore that it's not, especially if Google takes no action in this. And I guarantee you there's, I, there's going to be some, you know, <laughs> some down hokum little, you know, little, uh, uh, police department somewhere in some, you know, in, in back ass words, Oklahoma, Okay, that is going to say that is going to copy this. I guarantee it. They're going to think, oh, man, why didn't we think of that? And I bet half of the police departments around were probably thinking, oh, why didn't we think of that? I mean, I would question any time you see this stuff when you see the Apple cars going and and they're going to start going around like what Apple Maps. When you see Apple Maps going around, when you see all that, don't instantly think, oh, man, Apple is making such a great mapping service. Now, in my opinion, for your own sake, you better start thinking, oh, shit, is that thing watching me? Because it might be somebody. Maybe it's not Apple, really, but it's just a government vehicle, you know, with with an Apple logo on it that is watching you. It is absolutely in these companies and the Silicon Valley companies' best interests to be out in front of this story 
Because otherwise, I mean, what, what can you trust? I mean, even then, I'm not saying I'd believe them, but regardless, it, it's, the, it's the bottom line. It's the very least of what they should do. This is crazy. This is really crazy. We've had a whole, a whole episode of, uh, of crazy here, no doubt about that. But anyway, enough of that. Enough Sovereign Tech for this week. Uh, of course, episode 176 will be next week. I hope you're enjoying. Please don't hesitate to email me and let me know what you think of, uh, of the new intros. Uh, and i uh, got some got some really exciting stuff being cooked up in the works uh, for, the, for the very near future. Uh, so anyway, donate if you love the show. Uh, donate.zog.ninja. Just head there and there's all the ways to do it. Thank you so much for everybody that takes advantage of the, wish, the Amazon wish list as well. Wishlist.zog.ninja if you want to look at that. You can donate much needed equipment. Uh, Carpe Lucem, everybody. Woo! I'll see you on the other side. Boy, is that enough yelling or what? You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution. Test, 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 test. Bum, 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 bum. Bum, ba, da, ba, ba.